This is Father Joseph Anthony Cress. And this is Father Bonaventure Chapman. Welcome to God's Planning. Thanks to all who support us. If you enjoy this show, please consider making a monthly donation on Patreon. Be sure to like and subscribe to God's Planning wherever you listen to your podcast. Brother Bonaventure, the Backbenchers are back. You know, we're, we're united. Back. We're united again. Um, but as we are near the feast day of St. John Paul II, yeah. we want to take this opportunity to actually reflect on this great saint. Some, somebody who has, I think, been very important for both of us in unique ways. And we find this quite often through so many Catholics that he has had a major influence, but it's always unique. It's always uh, slightly different. And so I think on this episode, we want to take that time to talk about our own uh, kind of devotion and, and appreciation mm -hmm. yeah. of St. John Paul II, while at the same time starting to see his lasting influence and mm -hmm. impact on him. So, uh, you know, your own faith has its own journey and things sure. like that, which definitely has in Included St. John Paul II, but yeah. like, what role does he play in in your uh, life in that way? You know, it's it's funny because when I became I became a Catholic um, after he had he had died, um, not far after, two thousand seven. Okay, um, I'm okay. going to talk about that, but uh, the so and I always consider myself a B sixteen Catholic as opposed to a JP two Catholic. Most of the Catholics around yeah. were JP two Catholics, and maybe yeah. that's how you describe your, yourself growing up. JP two Catholic, and <laughs> I was B sixteen Catholic because I came in as a Protestant, and Benedict was the one I, I read all of his things uh, mm -hmm. for shape of the liturgy and Ratzinger Report and all of these th and his his work on scripture and creation and his commentaries. So although I attach myself more with Benedict, especially from the scriptural part. Uh, I've grown and continued to be attentive to JP2 and how okay. important he's been, especially in the philosophical. He's a philosophical kind yeah. of pope. And um, yeah. I wrote uh, my um, one of my papers in Oxford when I was a seminarian. I was writing on, uh, we had to do a morals a morals paper on theology. I mean, these papers are long papers, so you do like four <laughs> papers a year, and these, these are whole grade. And the paper that I wrote on morals was on indissolubility of marriage, oh, wow. and it was using JP2 uh, and his account of theology of the body. And my dissertation, or we call it, they call it dissertation, but it's actually a master's thesis over there, uh, was uh, was using JP2, a little bit of mm -hmm. communio ecclesiology as well. But I really drilled down on on theology of the body and love and responsibility, and his account of his account of marriage and love in as a Protestant, as an Anglican seminarian. So. I was I was with JP two even before he became a Catholic, and he was he was profound on that. But you're you grew up with him as Pope as the kind <laughs> yeah. of thing. So what, what do you remember? You just remember him always having pictures around in churches and things, right? I mean, he was one. He, he was, was just pope. the Pope. Yeah. He was always Pope. Yeah. Like I mean, I was yep. born in the '80s, and he was a Holy Father all the way through my entire life. So when when I hear when there was any reference to the papacy, there was only one person that that represented. Yeah, that's right. You know, growing up. And that was kind of a cool experience. Um, I didn't realize how special that was, like, until his death. Yeah. And then you had to, like, kind of restructure and rethink, like, oh, wait a second, the papacy is not John Paul II. Yeah. yeah. And what does that mean and what does that look like? So it was kind of cool. And, you know, personally, um, I, have, I have Polish blood in me. And sure. so having him be a Polish pope and not understanding the full kind of significance of that especially when mm -hmm. he was elected not being alive or sure. understanding all of that when he was uh kind of broke that mold as as the polish pope but 
there was always this deep affinity for him because it's like, oh man, there he is, you know, a, a Polish pope, and thinking that is what the the pope or the papacy was, and then going past that and seeing just his uh, his engagement with the world. Mm-hmm. you know how tra- how well traveled he was and i know that was a big part of his papacy and because it was so long you know he he was able to visit and um kind of be an ambassador to the yeah. to the world by the church so it was the, he was leaving the vatican in a way and going out and pre- and in a sense preaching the gospel and evangelizing just by his presence and the church was yeah. coming out to to people uh to where they were and presenting presenting the church not just the kerygma but the the whole itself in peter himself i think that's right yeah it was it was a really cool experience i remember early on i, I forget the exact year of when he visited new york city i had um cousins of mine mm-hmm. that traveled from ohio to um to new york city to attend the mass in central park and things and it was like it was such a great experience to see um, that kind of sacrifice to visit the Holy Father. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And that the Holy Father was coming to your kind of native land. And the response to that was, okay, we're going to make, you know, the seven hour, eight hour through the night drive what it is to go see him. So it was, it was a lot of uh, just growing up and thinking, well, this is what the Pope does. Mm-hmm. And not understand yeah. like this is the expectation this is the baseline this is what it means to be the holy father this is what you should expect um but i remember when he passed away mm-hmm. i was in high school mm. and i had just started taking my faith seriously like a y- year and a half two years before that now i went to catholic school all my life uh-huh. you know but at that stage was like no nah, okay this is this is legit this is for me and really investing in my faith and then having such a deep affection for him as our holy father just was an exponential growth and mm-hmm. then he passed away were you were you in it i forget what day he passed away were you was it in yeah springtime i think it was yeah, yeah it was it was the night it was it was a divine mercy sunday right the vigil before i was divine going mercy. to say he died okay so were you in school when it happened no or? actually okay. i was um where was i i was um i was at work mm-hmm. i worked at a local grocery store so i was at yeah. work and it was on the tv in the break room at our grocery store and okay. yeah. they were carrying the coverage for sure. it and everything. Sure. And one of the my coworkers, who was not Catholic, mm-hmm. but knew I was and knew that I had a strong uh, faith, but it was on 24-7, like yeah. in our break room because everybody was watching. Yes. And they came running down the stairs and just grabbed me and said, hey, the Holy Father just passed. And yeah. that, that was a crazy experience, too, to have other people be the kind of messenger or the cur- courier for that. Yes. Uh, but, like, you, it was one of those things that you just don't forget where you are. Well, it, yeah, I, same same with me, even though I was I was an Anglican at the time. In fact, I was on a, um, a confirmation. Like, I was being confirmed uh, that, that spring in the Anglican Church before mm-hmm. going over to mm-hmm. seminary. Mm-hmm. And I was on a, a confirmation kind of retreat weekend sort of thing uh, with, a bunch of, with a bunch of the other Anglicans. And... Uh, we were down in Florida, um, and on I think it was uh, one of the one of the beaches there, maybe okay. Palm Beach or something. <laughs> and uh, and and during this retreat, he, he passed away, and so the TV was on, and all, there we were, um, you know, canon priests that the, from the from the cathedral that was my okay. my ascending church, and then a bunch of 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 us who were becoming becoming Anglican or what have you, uh, and we were just watching TV and watching talking about the Pope and 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 how important he was and. Yeah. transfixed so even as a protestant you just knew this man was was something important and was a great witness and uh, especially for those of us who were more conservative you could mm-hmm. say or traditional mm-hmm. or something we knew 
and and the gospel of life that he you know versus the culture of death that whole that yeah, that whole right, every right. you you no matter what you thought about the catholic church that was something that was profound mm-hmm, and influential mm-hmm. and that you you had to respect uh in, in the <laughs> protestant church so i remember exactly we were in florida watching this the news coverage of it yeah i mean before we we continue this episode and sure. we have so much to talk about but i i think it's such a great perspective and, and something but like his influence on those outside the quote unquote bounds of the Catholic Church mm-hmm. yeah. is crazy. Yeah, that's it a was good insane. Point. So, like, as an Anglican, you know, not only just experiencing his death before your conversion to the the Catholic Church, but like, what was his influence? What was like how how was he respected? Was it kind of always kind of if people were studying his writings, which you yourself did a little bit? Um, was it kind of couched in this way? Was it like fully embraced or was it like, ah, tread lightly there. You don't want to study too much or what was the engagement or the kind of his, uh, you know, how was he viewed from the Anglican perspective? That's a great question. I think it sort of, uh, some some maybe a grudging respect in a way, Mm, but also, um, I mean, the Anglican, I mean, what do Anglicans believe? Everything. Uh, It depends which Anglican you're talking about. And I can't, we can't, the Anglican America, the Anglican Anglican tradition is pretty Anglo-Catholic and sort of attentive to this. And my cathedral particularly was was very, very inclined towards Catholicism. And we had repose of this blessed sacrament and Mm. all sorts of, it was very, it was very, it was, uh, it looked crypto-Catholic, you could say. Um, so we were more open to him, but I think even even in the evangelical world, you could say, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. the the openness to his defensive life and the pro life mm-hmm. uh, points and his commitment to to the gospel, uh, his commitment to Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. He had this, I mean, in Gaudium et Spes twenty two, you know, Christ yeah. reveals man to himself, um, and and this. Even evangelicals absolutely loved. So we we always we always respected the Pope, and we we thought he was different than other Catholics, I suppose, because he was so committed to to Christ, and he was committed to Mary too. So I think there was always there was a little bit of tension in the way that Benedict Sixteenth <laughs> um, was even more friendlier for from a Protestant perspective, I think. But it was JP two just he was he was everything. So he loved he loved scriptures, he loved Christ, uh, and he loved life. But he also loved Mary, and he loved the saints. And so for those, which I think was helpful, drew some of us in to say, well, if he likes this, then maybe we should pay. It was hard to get around that kind of yeah. totus to his thing. Yeah, like, exactly. Like, he ends all of his encyclicals like, with oh, Mary. Man. It's just yeah, yeah that's right, yeah, that's okay. right. So uh, looking at his life, and yeah. um, before before we start talking a little more about you know the contemporary import and, and even our personal. Um, engagement with that but let, let's talk a little bit about as we would or want to do he's got some dominican connections he's got some order of preachers in him he does. i mean we can't claim everything you know that most of it's uh thanks to poland uh, that's right you know but yeah. as as a dominican connection and and what's the influence that the our order our tradition the Thomistic tradition what has that had or what where's that land with him sure and i'm not an expert on jp2 and dominicans but i do know this that he he did his doctorate in uh, at, the, at the angelicum so the pontifical academy of saint pontifical school of saint thomas uh in rome uh where uh, father thomas joseph right now is is rector and we have a number of yeah. our dominicans yeah, from our province do. there um and have many have come from there it's a wonderful institution and he did un- studying. He did his doctorate there underneath, uh, studying under uh, Gergou Lagrange, who mm-hmm. is uh, many of our listeners are very familiar with the 
three ages of the of the interior life, life spiritual yeah. life which we talked about and I, th- I think yeah we, we did that episode, episode. yeah um, for sure and it was writing on saint john the cross and carmelite uh, things mm-hmm. so that that kind of connection and you'll see that in the introduction uh introductory essay to his uh, theology of the body the newer edition talks mm-hmm. about john of the cross of spirituality in relation to this so he was under uh Gerigou lagrange had studied the ange uh, he has a thomistic background you could say uh, that's the one part. On the other part, um, his Thomistic background is is what's called Lublin Thomism, and mm-hmm, it's a mm-hmm. particularly phenomenological account, so following from Edmund, Edmund Husserl and uh, a, a more m- contemporary kind mm-hmm. of modern philosophical way of thinking, which I want to talk about. But that's one side. So he's he's not a scholastic, you could say, yeah, commentatorial yeah. Uh, sense. He's not like Garrigou Lagrange. Anyway, he doesn't write in sort of major premise, minor premise, no. and all and conclusions, and all that way. Also, Garrigou Lagrange, I think famously, if I remember correctly, said uh, right. Uh, Writes li- writes much says little. Yeah, that I was, was not that, that was impressed with his uh, with his, his work and such. I think because of this, John Paul was of course a dramatist uh, coming from from yeah. acting background and such. Yeah. So th- so while there was a there's a Dominican pedigree, uh, at the same time his JP 2s Thomism is is very different uh, than than say scholastic commentatorial Thomism, and that gives a pause for some Dominicans at least for the legacy of John mm-hmm. Paul. They worry that perhaps he's too modern or he's uh, uh, but there's a sense that uh, he's, I think he's a good case made that he's a nice fusion yeah, and yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, you could say a, an appropriation of the Thomistic tradition with some modern elements to mm-hmm. it while not while not getting rid of any of the, the bad things. But there's a whole it's a large fight about yeah, these it's, things. It's, when it's you get down to the details there's always some questions. It's but. um what it's a, one of the titles for it's like Thomistic personalism. That's it, right. Yeah, yeah, something like that. And, yeah, and that's where Gary Lagrange is coming as like a comment commentatorial tradition, right? He's just mm-hmm. making comments. Where I think John Paul II and you kind of picked up on that. Like, yeah, he was he was a dramatist and in, in those types of things, and kind of was able to apply the tradition, mm-hmm. never adjusting it. He never. Um, oh, so it, so some would say. Yeah. Well, yeah. That's a good point. But he he in a deep respect was like continuing that tradition, but uh, allowing it to apply in, in a few different areas and making it um, in a, in a very contemporary conversation. He also so, added he also added five mysteries to the rosary. Well, I mean, for after you know, in two thousand. Yeah. I mean, yeah. so that after five hundred years or eight hundred years of the rosary or seven hundred years of the rosary, uh, 50, you know, now we have a new mysteries, luminous mysteries. Yeah. So yeah. there's always a <laughs> Dominicans always have something to gripe about JP two, and perhaps we, we gripe too much about him uh, because there's so many so many good things about but him always, that it still needs to be unpacked. Yeah. Today. Oh yeah, that's it. So let's dive into that. I think one of the sure. uh, things we're going to talk about kind of where we have our personal affections mm-hmm. and his influence yeah. on on our life. And uh, for me, one of the, you mentioned some of them, but for for me, one of the things that I continually find myself drawing back to is his first encyclical mm-hmm. you know the, the encyclical that was his very first one it kind of for me like it sets the tone of his papacy yeah. it kind of says like okay this is where everything is going to flow from and it's uh redemptor hominis where mm-hmm. it just it focuses on christ as the redeemer of man yeah and i think to really especially looking at his papacy like you you know you talked a little bit about Love and Responsibility, mm-hmm. which was one of the works when he wrote before he was uh, the Pope. But when you're really looking at his papacy, if you can look at it through that lens of that first encyclical, it begins to make a lot of sense. Mm-hmm. You know, that Jesus Christ is a redeemer of man, all of them. 
you know, yeah. in its in its totality, which I think then that is what inspires him to travel so much. That mm-hmm. inspires him to write as much as he does and to defend life and yeah. how how valued that is to be made in the image and likeness of the creator. But I find myself, especially the first time I read that encyclical, and I can continue to go back to it, mm-hmm. it for me is is somewhat akin to sacred scripture because there's always something ancient but mm-hmm. something new in it. Like yeah. I haven't gone back to it and found like, okay, I know exactly where this is going. I know what he's saying. Like you can find something new every single time, and I do. So as I was deep in my faith, I had good uh, priests in my life who were encouraging us to read John Paul II's works. But I found that that first encyclical, Redemptor Hominis, is such a beautiful piece of work, but it also helps to explain and give so much clarity to everything else that he did in his papacy. Yeah. Um, so like that to me is such a, an important thing. And personally, it helped to build that personal relationship Um, and understanding his prayer, understanding his thought process and everything that that flowed from that. Yeah, his encyclicals, this was a Pope wrote encyclicals, (laughs) upwards of 20 of these things, I think, right? It's like Tiger Woods and Masters, (laughs) golf tournaments, or Pete Sampras and and titles, et cetera. But he wrote, and also, before before John Paul II, uh, encyclicals were smaller documents, something Mm -hmm. very readable and something very approachable immediately. Um, They they were encyclical letters, you know, imagine the sort of thing you could read out loud in one setting. And JP2 decided uh, to make them into short books, basically, because he... (laughs) He was a great writer and he was great, he had lots of good things to say, but they were all massive. They must have been a mass of 100 pages or something, you yeah, know. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, and, but they're, they're beautiful and they, and I mean, Fides et Ratio, of course, is very, to, to a philosopher and, uh, and a, oh my or, gosh, yeah. it's very important and very Tati Splendor. The, oh my gosh, uh, yes. really, uh, those, his intervention in, in, in these certain encyclicals were made interventions mm-hmm. into mm-hmm. thought, the thought world, so Fides et Ratio into philosophy, mm-hmm. you could say. Um, and the faith and reason debate that people were having and struggling in the modern world. Um, and he was responding to, me, to questions of the modern world, and Veritati Splendor was an intervention in the church at the time when uh, there was a question of, well, are, do we believe in absolute absolute morals, or is it all kind of circumstantial? There's a proportionalism, consequentialism, kind of yeah. different ways of thinking about, and this was during the Humanae Vitae, you know, kind of appropriation or misappropriation. And he was interjecting with f- fundamental clarity, he was acting as as the Pope and Peter and protecting his church and giving guidance through these documents yeah. that then were taken forward. Uh, and he did this with Ex Corde Ecclesiae, um, the Eucharistic documents, oh my gosh, yeah, Ecclesiae yeah, yeah, yeah. Christo. Uh, and then, um, I mean, there's so many of individual Santissimo Animus, the kind of the social encyclical, 100 mm-hmm. years of Rerum Novarum, reflected on communism and the free market. You could talk about that. He was making dis- decisive interventions and a number of different uh, moral, political, but never from trying to meddle in other disciplines, but rather always bringing the the light of the Catholic Church appropriately understood Mm -hmm, into these mm -hmm. situations of modern life. Yeah, we, just as you're talking, it's like, man, we could do a whole multi-episode things Seriously. just on his encyclicals. Yeah, profound. How profound and timely each one of them was. Yeah. Yeah, like, particular moments came with particular it, interventions. And, and what a beautiful thing it was to see him shepherding, right, yeah. as as Peter in these very decisive times where there was so much confusion uh, across the world. 
and that he took to these encyclicals and it might be part of the reason why there were so many and why Mm -hmm. he was so comfortable with it um, that he really saw these encyclical letters as part of his um, shepherding role uh, to be that voice and to be leaning in and saying no there needs to be a clear voice um, drawing from our tradition but like actually uh, with the kind of sharpness of a spear into this modern confusion well, and I think he was able to be uh, an articulate and approachable voice in time when there was so much radical and um, you know even even quantitative of like fervor like there was yeah. a lot of ca- chaos and things were changing sure. so rapidly yeah um, throughout the entirety of the 20th century but specifically in the late 20th century when he had the ability to do that where probably very few did he was, he, remember, he was a, a post-Vatican II. I mean, he was yeah, called Vatican II, yeah. of course, but he was the really the, the first long pope after mm-hmm. Paul VI. Uh, so that Vatican II was the response of the church to the modern world, but it wasn't a stopping point. You could say it was actually like the, the beginning document of it, saying we're going to make a go at and, mm-hmm. dealing with the modern world in a particular way. And, of course, uh, the fallout of Vatican II, we're still, historical we're still, events, yeah, historical yeah, events yeah. never end, so you've got, you've, there's always new interpretations of them. And uh, St. John Paul was the, the one to, I think, give us a magisterial interpretation, a lived-out hermeneutic, mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. A, a, this, a sense of what we were to do when we approached the modern world. I yeah. think there was some confusion initially after Vatican II about how one does approach the modern world, whether it is the, it's gi- giving directions to us or whether the church listens at all to it. And I think he went right. with a sense of, uh, with a, a sense of Christ, as you mentioned earlier, going out and of course listening to people and being attentive to mm-hmm. people and meeting them in their particular circumstances, but with an authoritative message yep, and with yeah. a confidence and a boldness, be not afraid, of course, was his opening. Oh, goodness, Homily yeah. open wide the doors to Christ. Yeah, there was a, yeah. a sense of you will not miss anything mm-hmm. uh, if you if you follow Christ in this very exclusive to the modern world uh, sense of discipleship. Yeah. There's um we would be remiss to finish this episode or to move on if we didn't talk about him uh, instituting the catechism, mm. you know, and what sure. a great yeah. uh, what a gift, gift that is. I mean, we got uh, somewhere around, you know, there's catechisms yeah. floating around all yeah, these books go. somewhere here. But um, sometimes, like, as a, a cradle Catholic mm-hmm. um, and you as a convert, like, the catechism was always there. Yes. Like that was yeah. like, oh yeah, we have this. Let's look. But like that wasn't the reality. Like, yep. uh, and what a great gift that was. That and that he spearheaded that. Um, you were talking about the modern world. You were mm. talking about how he engaged the modern yes. world. We're now post John Paul II's papacy. Yes. Now we're he's a saint, and that's why we're talking because we love him, and and he's uh, you know, assisting us uh, from heaven. Um, but we're also what kind of engagement? does his influence still Still have with our contemporary context now is it you know it's a post-christian world in in many respects but uh what are we looking at like how does the post john paul ii papacy still influence and still it's what still still needs to be done conversation right Mm -hmm. that maybe he gave us the first taste of or the opening into um but how does that look now well i this is just my my read on it, or what I think is important is that we mentioned a little about this personalism stuff, but the personalism uh, aspect, the aiming of a person, is more important now than ever. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. We live in a world that's becoming more and more impersonal, um, yeah, and yeah. also therefore unloving and uncharitable. 
um, we've gotten away from the sense of persons as mm-hmm. as the center and focal point of of the world. And he called everyone back to the personalness of 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 the world that it was bought, made by a person, yeah. three persons, <laughs> yeah. uh, saved by a person. Uh, saving persons, right, and right. that that the personal, because of his back background with both uh, drama, mm-hmm. which of course is a matter of of personality and <laughs> presenting persons. I mean, that's where persona comes from. Um, but also, but also from his his philosophy, uh, his atten- his attention to this Catholic movement of phenomenology mm-hmm. from mm-hmm. from Edmund Husserl, and of course Edith Stein uh, yeah. was uh, Saint Ter- Teresa Benedicta of the Cross was in this as well. This attempt, Max Scheler, who was one of his, his teachers, um, these influences of the looking at the person and intentional acts. Yeah. This was crucial at for Humanae Vitae when that came out. I think there was a confusion, obviously, and a disappointment and frustration and about the, the document that mm-hmm. it, it didn't really address. It seemed like it didn't address the modern concerns, even though it said give the right answers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And his his theology, his love and responsibility in fifty seven, but then his theology of the body, his catechesis on the language of the body mm-hmm. and the account of this mm-hmm. was a response to saying, Okay, Okay, we've heard you. You you don't like the way we've said this in a way, according to some natural law cons. Let's go and talk about from the personal aspect, and that's where he gets where he talks about uh, what it means to love as a person. And he does his whole point there. It's abs- and why it's important to bring back again and again is that if you understand what it means to love as a person, then a number of things fall and t- mm. fall out from that. Mm-hmm. One, marriage is indissoluble. Yeah. Uh, two, contraception is 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 impermissible that there are denials not of some abstract natural law or some physical principle uh, of themselves but for him even more importantly they're a denial of the personhood yeah, of the yeah, other yeah. and they're a, it's like lying you're saying something but also taking it back that's that personality considering that we're so becoming so impersonal and so technical the return to the person and the acts of a person of knowing and loving especially love uh, I think that can continue to do some unpacking and development and fruition. Well, it's not only just, as you were saying, like these things that as he addressed contraception uh, and all these other issues, it's not just the denial of things. It's not just saying, Mm -hmm. well, no, no, no. It's like, well, it's the denial of the person. Like these things are harmful and destructive because it's actually denying the person. So the the other aspects are about affirming the person mm-hmm. made in the image of likeness of God. Like yeah. this is why we say n- no to these things, or this is why these things are impermissible, is because it's we're no longer affirming the reality of of the person. And yeah, and, that the, is, and the risks involved of being a, a person, the risks of love, in the sense that yeah. with with uh, with with indissolubility, you could say, or any any of these strong commitments, they're a, an offer of the fact that. It's risky to be a person. That it's an adventure. <laughs> that you have to say yes at the at the wedding at the altar, and you have to say yes to something that you're not. You don't know how things are yeah. going to work out. But since you're a person, you can commit to these yeah, things, yeah. and you can have hope. And it's an adventure as opposed to this overly safe world that of of machines or impersonal things. The personal world is a, is as we know a risky world. It's an adventure. Oh, it's a dangerous yeah. world, but it's also beautiful because of that. Yeah, he gave. Yeah. They, you mentioned this. Yeah, the the positive aspects. He gave that back to us and said grab hold of yes, your personhood yes. and take advantage of that yeah. it's um and, and there's there's this other aspect of how he's continually in conversation and why is he so continually important for us is you know coming out of the second vatican council where it was like we wanted the the traditions the truths of the faith to be in this kind of conversation and addressing the modern man 
Um, but we kind of are in these transitions of uh, eras, you know, from mm-hmm. an era where the church has a great status yeah. and influence that maybe no longer has that. Um, and in, he mm-hmm. was, in many senses, a sure. somewhat of a prophet uh, yeah. in, in seeing that coming down the road. Um, I'm currently thinking of a great work by uh, Monsignor Shea, who talks explicitly about this transition of eras, mm-hmm. you know, from Christendom era to an apostolic era. And I think John Paul II kind of saw that coming and was preparing it mm-hmm. and really kind of not even just like shifted gears, but man, he shifted gears and smashed that gas pedal for it with his push on the new evangelization, mm-hmm. which we talk about like, is the new evangelization still needed what does that look like or maybe we need a different new evangelization uh but i think what his take on it was the evangelization that brought us to the point that we were um is going to have to adjust and so what we're engaging now as we i think very clearly move into a post-christian world and very clearly need to change our engagement or quote-unquote tactics of evangelization Mm -hmm. is what he initiated uh, early on and saying it's going to be a little more apostolic and we mm-hmm. need to think that way. Uh, one of the things though I think is super, super important and I think gets missed a little bit with this push for new evangelization unfortunately it gets translated as activism. Mm-hmm. That's right. It's a new activism. We need to do these things and it's all about this outward engagement but I think what it gets overlooked is the contemplative aspect of new evangelization. Mm-hmm. Um, you have dioceses that have um, you know, departments of new evangelization yeah. or, you know, people that hold positions as the director of new, new evangelization. evangelization and all that's really good, but it all boils down to doings and things mm-hmm. and programs and all of that. If we truly understand John Paul II, who brought this to light and said, yes, we need this new evangelization with exactly what you're talking about, his personalism, yeah. right? New evangelization is about a relationship with yes. Jesus Christ and, and from that. But that has to be, be, or that has to begin with prayer. Yeah, well, that I mean, this has, that this... has to begin with a very deep contemplative prayer. So this is my own little hobby horse here, yeah. but I think if you're going to push for, you know, greater activity with the new evangelization, there needs to be just as much of a push for like contemplative support. Like well, I want to say hours, people yeah. praying rosaries for those that, that are going out to yeah. do the evangelical work. I want, uh, I want to say outreach. with every, with every evangelical activity level, there needs to be an, a Eucharistic adoration level. Yeah. And that's both yeah. JP. That's both you know, St. John Paul II's push that you have both an extreme evangelical desire to go out and, and, and speak to the world, but also this extreme piety and oh, devotion yeah. to, I mean, brings brought back really a whole, holy hours and attentiveness to this. And Eucharistic adoration was mm-hmm. his his big push, of course, in all of his, in, in many of his encyclicals, his holy letter, his holy Thursday letters to, to priests oh, for priest, us, which is fantastic. So but that, so that these, you're right, has another phrase he used, of course, is that the church needs to breathe with, breathe with both lungs for mm-hmm. the East and the West. He's trying to bring that. We could say the church needs to use both of these avenues, yeah. evangelical activity, but also Eucharistic adoration. They go hand hand in hand for, yeah. for them to have a full sense of the, I don't know, the Joannine, Pauline, uh, yeah. Petrine yeah, ministry. Yeah. yeah. Well, as we could talk for ages and, and ages more. about, and there's definitely more, hopefully maybe, maybe more episodes, but 
We want to thank you always for listening to Godsplaining. Uh, please follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Like this episode. Subscribe on YouTube or on podcast apps. Leave a five-star review for us. Um, if you'd like to donate to the podcast through Patreon, please follow the link in the description or the show notes. Uh, and there you can also find links to shop our merchandise or to get information on upcoming Godsplaining events. So. Thank you for joining us. And like I always say, please share this episode with those that you think would enjoy it or maybe have some connection or affinity for St. John Paul II that would enjoy this conversation. Thank you very much for everything. Know that you are in our prayers. God bless. Mm-hmm.